a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Well, we're really pleased to have back on the program our friend Phil Rossetti from R Street Institute. And uh, Phil, uh, we've obviously, everyone's been looking at the gas prices, uh, mostly up, now drifting down just a little bit. Uh, you have a great piece uh, that talks about how we actually have to look at this, that we uh, have this refinery shortage. Uh, and that government, more government intervention is not the way to solve that. And that's how we're really going to get to some price relief there for actual consumers. Kind of walk us through the backstory. Uh, in terms of the refinery issue and how we got where we are today? Sure. So refining is really the process of turning crude oil into the things that we actually use, like gasoline or other oils and lubricants. Uh, So when people talk about oil prices, they're very focused on the oil companies, uh, and they often neglect the role of refiners. And traditionally, refiners make very, very slim profit margins. There's a a lot of competition among refiners, and there's a lot of competition among oil supply. Uh, so even when the gas prices are high, that's usually really going to be oil companies. Now, however, we've encountered this issue where during the pandemic, we had some refinery closures. Uh, gasoline prices were so depressed, and there was so little demand for new refining capacity that uh, it, it really went down. And we don't build much new refining capacity. If you look at the age of refineries are, you know, most of them were built in the 70s. Uh, the, really, the only ones that were built even since the turn of the century uh, are really small. So it's this kind of long-lived infrastructure, which is slowly kind of exiting the market. And now we're suddenly having this big need for it. So refiners are at kind of a, a historical moment of increased profits. And the administration has said, oh, that's, you know, the the nail we have to hit with this hammer to try to bring the prices down. But it doesn't quite work that way because the refining industry is such a long-lived industry that this kind of momentary blip in prices doesn't send the kind of long-term signals for new investment and new capacity. And that's going to be a big constraint to reducing gasoline prices. As long as this refinery capacity uh, shortage is in play, it's going to be really hard to, to uh, improve the, the sort of supply of gasoline. Yeah, so let's look at that on a couple of different levels as we look at, at regulation in general. Obviously, you have uh, some of those that, uh, as you said, they've, they've been around since the 70s, and then there's been a lot of regulatory pressure on there, which hasn't made investing in a new refinery a, a really good uh, bet, I guess, uh, for, for a lot of companies. Uh, so how does that impact where we are, and, and now when we're in this need for more refining, uh, you mentioned it's seen more by the industry as a blip as opposed to, oh, this is a great opportunity to, to expand or to build up. And the administration seems to be, as you said, hitting that uh, nail with the, the sole hammer. 
what does that do, and what does that make the uh, future look like? Yeah, well, I mean, in a in a word, uh, the administration is really encountering the difficulty of its policies on the energy industry. Uh, so this is something that uh, a lot of environmental policy analysts get cautioned about, which is this understanding of long-term investment in these industries, because there's often this idea of, okay, you know, gasoline uh, supply is always going to remain constant and we'll phase it out with EVs or something similar. And the need for long-term investment and capacity and supply is ignored. So now the administration has been saying, hey, we're going to have 50% of new vehicle sales be EVs by 2030. We're going to push for EV subsidies. We're going to do everything we can to reduce gasoline consumption in the United States. Uh, and that just sends a huge signal to the market to say, hey, there's really not much point in building new capacity in the United States. Uh, the administration has also said you know, they're going to increase regulation on the industry, which you know, makes sense given their environmental priorities. Uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission has a proposed rule which would affect refiners pretty heavily and impose all sorts of new burdens on them to do emissions accounting, even on things like the commuting of their employees and, and what emissions are entailed with that, things that have never been done before. Uh, so the administration is realizing it, it can't have its cake and eat it too. It, it has to either preserve the freedom of the market to incentivize new entry and address these uh, scarcity issues, or it has to really focus on reducing consumption. But it can't be both at the same time. Yeah, I think that's a, such an interesting piece of the puzzle is, is looking at kind of those uh, dichotomies in terms of what the administration uh, is doing, what they're doing by executive order and action, uh, and then you know, kind of blaming blaming energy companies on one hand uh, for for not producing more or not doing the right thing at the right time, or you know, threatening to use a defense production act or whatever it may be uh, to to bump things up for uh, for a moment. Uh, from a policy standpoint, from the administration, uh, what is it that they should be doing or or helping educate the public on in terms of what these policies are and how they actually impact uh, consumers and what we use? That's a great question uh, because really it boils down to the opportunities for market entry and the idea that this is actually going to be a profitable industry to invest in. Uh, What they're trying to do now, which is I would would say not the ideal approach, is look to new market interventions to try to force supply increases or maybe try to use a Defense Production Act for some sort of procurement or subsidy, which would really only drive the prices up in other sectors. Uh, But really what they need to do is ensure that there's a clear policy pathway for new entrants to the market where they know, hey, if I'm going to make a capacity addition to a refinery, that I know exactly what rules I'm going to have to comply with in, you know, 5, 10, 20 years from now, and I know, uh, you know, what the market is going to look like. Uh, But as long as the administration is saying, hey, we want you to increase oil production and invest in new capacity. And at the same time, we're trying to put your industry out of business. They're never going to get that new market entry. Yeah. Uh, the one thing we know for sure is that investments are usually driven by an element of certainty. <laughs> Businesses love yes, certainty exactly. in the process. And uh, and the administration seems to be sending very mixed signals uh, which I think also conclude uh, confuses the public uh, in terms of where the the issues really lie, and uh, are there other things that we should be watching as it relates to this, or other things that are on 
the agenda either for the administration or anything, any rumblings in Congress that might uh, Im- impact that uh, capacity? Yeah, so yeah, I think a couple things. One is there really needs to be a close eye on the potential impacts from the uh, the SEC, the Security Exchange Commission's potential new rule, and how that would affect refiners. Uh, that's really kind of an unknown, and I think it makes uh, new investment in, in this capacity really uh, uncertain and very high risk. So addressing that <laughs> should be a, a key priority, uh, but also there needs to be uh, some consideration of the global component because a lot of these markets are global. The oil markets, they're, they're traded in different grades. There's all sorts of considerations of heavy oil versus light oil and how that uh, complies with uh, the sort of refining needs. So there's going to be this incentive for policymakers to say, hey, we want to maybe curtail exports or something like that, which could only possibly create more problems in Europe and areas where there's uh, even worse shortages and, and price issues. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of push to try to centrally plan it, but really the solution is to broaden it and say, hey, we need to ensure that there's a robust global market and that new capacity additions abroad can also help to reduce our prices at home. Uh, fantastic. Great insight. Phil Rossetti from R Street Institute. To Phil, always appreciate your perspective on all things energy. And uh, to me, this is one of those classic examples of uh, if, if government regulation has caused a problem, more government regulation rarely solves the problem. <laughs> exactly. We'll, exactly. Con- we'll continue to keep our eye on this one. Phil, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Does your school have a safety plan? We'll talk with Ben Horsley of the Granite School District about what your campus needs to put in theirs. Our latest Be Ready Utah topic coming up next. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent. It was senseless. And I will never understand it. I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.